This is episode number 117 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and on this episode, we have Nick Showman. Nick is the owner of a gym called Showtime Strength and Performance, which is in Newark, Ohio. Now, I know what you might be thinking, why are we talking about powerlifting on a baseball podcast? Well, we get into that on this episode. We get into how Nick, year after year, his athletes continue to get faster by running less and less. Uh, we get into what age should you start training your um, your son or your daughter or you know your players. Um, we get into what exactly you should be doing. And Nick also shares his three favorite exercises that he would recommend to anybody out there if he could only pick three. Um, he shares that with you guys as well. Some great content. Um, Nick's an awesome guy. I really appreciate him coming on the podcast. And I think it's just something that um, a lot of people will be able to relate to, um, no matter who you are, what's, you know, baseball, softball, what age. Um, we kind of cover a little bit of everything in this episode. So I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, as always, please make sure to refer a friend um, to listen to this episode. If you like the episode, just go and share it with a friend. That's the only thing I, you know, I really ask is, you know, that's how we grow. And so if you could just refer one person, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So without further ado, here is Nick Showman. All right, and we are now live with Nick Showman, who is the owner of Showtime Strength and Performance. Uh, Nick, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. I've been listening to the podcast. My buddy Kyle Harris got me turned on to it, and uh, I think you guys have been putting out some great stuff as far as integrating both sports performance and the skill work with baseball, so I've been a big listener lately. Yeah, and you just told me that Kyle's a former bodybuilder. Um, I, I wish I would have had some of those pictures. I could have promoted that for his, for his episode on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, he used to look like a shredded Eddie Munster, so... <laughs> So I uh, I know you're a, you're a strength coach now. You're doing powerlifting. I mean, was this kind yeah. of a, a, an obsession you had like your entire life, or just kind of like how did this all come about? Um, I mean, I've always in eighth grade. I think is when I started lifting weights because I was never the big guy. So I just figured if I could get bigger, help me play football, help me play basketball, and all that. And then in 10th grade, 11th grade, I actually quit playing sports altogether because I got more involved in creating programs for sports than the actual sport itself. Like, you know, like football, two a days in summer training, like you're working out, running, all that. And I was more excited for that than I got bummed as the season started because we did less of that. So I started reading how to implement training for different sports, um, different training methods that I got into bodybuilding and then powerlifting. It's been a long thing. <laughs> I've been training athletes since uh, 2009, 2010. Um, I was actually at Denison University with Mark Watts. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. uh, that's who really gave me my first start and probably helped mold a lot of my views and uh, he opened some doors for me that I still could never thank him enough. <laughs> so are, are, are you, were you like obsessed with like Arnold Schwarzenegger growing up in the bodybuilding? Just, just big people, just strong, like the dudes like doing crazy strong things. Like I thought that was awesome. Like big bodybuilders, like the bigger, the better. Um, like what, I said, what I was strongest a, man stuff on uh what was it? ESPN. Yeah. 
that like i used to read powerlifting magazines like i was probably the only 14 year old reading powerlifting magazines so like just strength and just doing crazy things that people aren't supposed to do you know that was interesting to me so man i quit bodybuilding and i will never go back i've been at west side barbell for like five years four or five so i train up there once a week with lou and you know that's given me a whole different appreciation for strength <laughs> wait with who uh louis simmons from west side barbell okay now is he the guy who is that that is that the guy from that one movie which one movie uh i forget what it was called <laughs> uh, i mean he's just an old man but like it's the strongest gym in the world um like Dave Hoff just benched 1,015 at our meet we had here a couple weeks ago. Um, he's got the highest total. They got females with the highest totals in the world. Like it's crazy. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah. What? So what's it? What's it like to be a bodybuilder? I mean, were you? You're, you know, you were doing that, but I mean, take me <laughs> through like a typical day for a bodybuilder. We'll get into baseball and everything else later on, but I'm curious about this right now. Uh, I mean, I was like, I only did like three shows. I, I should have never been a bodybuilder cause I cared more about being strong. And, um, but I mean, I tracked all my food, you know, trained like five or six days a week and I could really never go back to it. Like I think about the things I did back then and I, it's just not me. That was me when I was 18. <laughs> um, so one of the one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about, and because um, you know this is a baseball podcast, and you know we have softball coaches who listen as well, and is just kind of get into how how do you train uh, those type of those those athletes? We'll get into pitchers, maybe that'd be like a little bit separate, but specifically like position players. Let's just start out there. What, what like what do you recommend? How do you how do you train those those type of players? I mean. Um, just based on listening to some of your other podcasts, I think we can agree like, especially like middle school and younger, they just need a base level of strength and athleticism, you know, teach them fundamental movements. Um, we do a lot of sled drags with our younger kids, a lot of like sandbag carries, kettlebell carries, stuff like that. Um, rolling around on the ground, body weight squats, box squats, stuff like just very basic, getting them to move, understand their kinesthetic awareness. Um, then you get into high school and we really start pushing the strength in high school and it's getting each year seems to be, I'm sure it's the same in baseball, but a little more challenging because of the travel um, softball and travel baseball. Like we have kids, they're like, well, we'll train when, um, you know, season's not in. Well, now they now have school ball season, summer ball, fall ball and winter ball. Yeah. Yeah. There is no, there is no off season. Yeah, so now you're talking about you're going to get all your strength training in for the year in two months. So we've been lucky. Each year it does seem to get better for us because we do have more kids buying in and not taking 10 months off each year. More kids training throughout the season. Um, but it's still like I'd say it's all about fundamental movements. You know, can they squat? Can they deadlift? pull-ups like Kyle and I talk about this all the time like my standards for any player on the field like can you do a body weight chin-up a push-up plank a side plank maybe a push-up like that's a good starting base mm -hmm. like I mean you work with kids like it's hard to get especially a high school girl to do a body weight chin-up yeah 
So if you can do that kind of stuff, you're heading in the right direction. So if they can't do that, I mean, is it one of those things where they just the, every day they try and do one until they can? Um, like we have a lat, uh, lat pull down machine. Like I'll give them exercises to do or like, you know, one arm band rows, um, dumbbell rows. Like we have commitments that they can do before their workout based on what it is like a posterior chain hypertrophy circuit, ab hypertrophy circuit. You know, we base that around what their, um, training is that day. You know, if it's a lower body day, they'll do like posterior chain and abs before they start their workout upper body. They might do like, um, shoulder prehab and grip exercises, you know, just so they're getting that little bit of extra work in on those, um, areas that generally need attention, especially for, you know, when you're talking about overhead athletes. Um, so that's been a big thing, getting those commitments and making sure they're actually doing them, not going through the motions, actually pushing the volume on them. Um, but we have, we have a ton of toys here. <laughs> like our kids, I don't think realize how spoiled they are till some of them go to college. Yeah. And they're like, we don't have this. We don't have this. I'm like, yeah, I've been telling you guys that. <laughs> Well, so so one of the things that you know, I'm sure is when I when I uh, put this episode out and, and promote it, people will hear you know powerlifting, baseball, don't want to get too big and bulky and can't move. What would you say to that? Yeah. I just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got our high school girls; they're crazy strong, and we've taken, and that's why I started going up to Westside Barbell in the first place. Uh, because I knew that they always had professional teams up there. Like I've seen the Patriots up there. The Indian staff was up there. There's D1 coaches up there all the time. So I knew if there's something, if these people are traveling to see them, I should drive 45, 50 minutes down the road to see them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And every week I'm there, I still learn something. So that's why I continue to go. Like it, it's, I'm learning something every time I walk through the door. So I've taken you know, the conjugate system that Lou created for powerlifting that he stole from Olympic weightlifting. And I've learned how to apply it for these softball and baseball players. And man, I'll tell you, it's been, it's been the best thing we've ever done. Our kids are not beat up like they used to be. They're faster. We're running less sprints every year and our sprint times are getting better. Um, when they go to college, the conditioning tests are getting easier for them. And like I said, they're not beat up. I mean, our kids were getting beat up for a while because of just the linear progression that we were using with some of the weights. And now it's been, it's been really good focusing on a couple heavy days each week and then a couple uh, dynamic effort days, just using a lighter bar weight with accommodating resistance. And the accommodating resistance, I think, has been the biggest game changer for our training. So using bands and chains, you know, with deadlifts, squats, stuff like that. I keep hearing that from from other coaches is is they're doing less running now. What like why why is that? How does how does that work where you you run less but you get faster running? Because if you get stronger, you're getting more efficient with each movement or with each step. So like a lot of our kids, um, they have trouble running in a straight line when they start with us, and that's because their glutes are weak, their abs are weak, so everything's swaying around the pelvis instead of moving in a straight line. And that's how you end up with, you know, hamstring tweaks and just little things. Like, I'm sure you've noticed, is it this year, the oblique tears are the big thing in baseball? Yeah, I know. I know. I think it was a judge had a big one early on. I'm trying to think who else. Mm -hmm. I know judge was the first one I heard of. 
But um, like Bob Aleo, he was with the Oakland Aves for a long time. He had a great article, and he said, why don't javelin throwers ever have a, an oblique injury? He's like, this is only prevalent in baseball. And the difference is the javelin throwers are really strong. Yeah. Like crazy strong athletes. So that's, you know, when you – so you're able to produce more force, absorb more force with every step you're taking, and you're not getting beat down – I mean, sprinting is a max effort exercise. I mean, you're really recruiting every muscle fiber, and it's harder to recover from the volume of sprinting. But the reason we did it is um, what's the furthest distance you'll run in a baseball play? I mean, a straight line, what, what 90 feet. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless, so, I, what, what always I used to always say is like, because, you, you know, the showcase is he runs 60 yards. And I'd be like, the only time I'm ever going to run 60 yards is if I'm in left field and the center fielder just dies during a play. And then, then I got to go get the ball. And by that time, it's inside the parker anyway. Right. I mean, that's my whole point. It's, when I started thinking about how softball's played, how baseball's played, I was like, well, why are we doing some of the things we've done? And baseball's and softball have both done. Like running pools, I still don't understand. One of my college kids, he just came back, and that's – what do you tell me? If you pitch two innings, you run three pulls. If you pitch over two innings, you run five after the game. And I'm like, oh, so that's like a real thing. Like people are still doing that. He's like, oh, yeah, we do it every day. <laughs> I was like, I just thought that was like an old folk, folk tale people used to say. <laughs> I mean, is there any benefit at all to doing that type of running? <clears throat> running uh, pulls? No. No? <laughs> no. Pitching, like if you're – Pitching, that's an alactic activity, and running a long distance would be, you know, lactic acid training. So I, I really don't understand it. Um, and our softball girls, you know, the distance on a softball field is even a little bit shorter. So, like, the furthest sprint we'll do with them is 20 yards. So, um, but we've, like I said, we've reduced our sprinting each year, and our kids go to college and they feel better. And, our high school athletes are doing better and the sprint times are getting better in our gym. So, you know, I look at like you guys, like if you find data that works, I don't think you would go away from it. Right now. When, (laughs) when you guys are, are doing your lifting, how much time in between sets are you getting? Like, is it, you know, you're, you're benching and then you get a minute, minute rest. Like, how does it work? It all depends on the athlete's recovery ability to recover our athlete, like our groups run in one hour time slots so we don't have a ton of time so we i don't want to say circuit because then people think i'm putting kids on machines and rotating them through but like we pair everything up so like if we're squatting we usually run like five people to a rack so let's say if they're squatting they'll do their squat then they'll do like a some sort of jump plyometric exercise and then either a prehab exercise or an ab exercise depending on the day and then they rotate back through so they're always doing something and getting rest spotting loading weights like that what's the most amount of time an athlete should train like say you say you you have someone and there there's no time time limit like i know you just said you guys run on hour time slots because you know you got more people coming in each hour what if there's, right. you know, you have all the time in the world? What would be, what, what would be like the the plan? Like my ideal real life. Yeah, scenario. well, I mean, just like a, a like a kid, like say for example, a kid who's listening to this right now who can go to the Y and as three hours a day if you want to do. 
<laughs> um, I'd honestly say high school, 60 to 75 minutes. Um, college, I'd say 75 to 90 minutes. Like, I'm big on being as efficient with your time as possible. Like, I love being in the gym, and but I don't want to be there all day. Like, I love hanging out on our back porch with my dog and my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, even at Westside, like, our speed sets, we'll do 12 sets of doubles, you know, with four to 500 pounds plus accommodating resistance. And we'll we'll run four people through in 15 minutes for, you know, 24 reps a person. So you're talking about a lot of, but it's very fast. Yeah. What, what about agility? You know, you see speed ladders, you see doing cones for, I mean, is there value in doing that stuff? I'm not as against it as I know some people have come out in the last few years. Especially with our younger kids, we use the ladder a lot just to give them a, um, a marker of where their body should be. So I'm not against them. Like with our college kids, I'm not doing agility ladders really. We do agility training, I guess. And I like some I like some more of the uh, randomized, chaotic agility training where you're just calling out numbers or directions and they have to react to it. I really like that or reacting to someone else more than like cone drills that you know we've traditionally seen in ladder drills like i remember when i got into coaching there was still like books and dvds being sold like 200 speed ladder exercises like anything to do with a ladder i'm like oh this is awesome but then i was like okay this is just you know some of like we have eight to ten drills we'll run through a ladder so why don't why don't you have the college kids do the agility stuff they don't really need it their mechanics and I, I think it was your podcast I was listening to the other day. I forget who the guest was, but um, I don't mess with their mechanics as much because their mechanics, by the time they're in college, are pretty ingrained. So what I try to do is increase their mobility, increase their strength. That way they can be in better positions when they go to change direction on the field. Okay. So we've had more carryover doing that than sitting there and being like, Hey, I don't like this hip angle when you're changing direction, right? You know, your arm angles need to be a little bit better because then they start thinking because they've done it that way for so long. Yeah. yeah. And I, so we've had better success, you know, increasing their strength and um, just having them sprint that way. And competition I think is better than anything when it comes to sprinting, sprinting and lifting. I think like if you can always pair your kids up with, kids of similar abilities i think that will defeat everything well because um doing showcases and things like you they they still do make you run 60 yards and, and do that 60 yard dash and things like that so how would a kid how should a kid prepare for that um i mean i say the same way we do all our we if you want to test your 60 like if you knew you had eight weeks and you had to be ready for a 60 yard sprint test say all right eight weeks see where your baseline is and same thing try to improve strength you know we our athletes will run every day but it's like six to eight sprints max like the most volume our athletes will do over the summer is we'll do 10 20s uh twice a summer so 200 yards of sprint volume and that's a and that's a high volume day um but same thing, just increase work capacity in the weight room, increase efficiency with each step. We do a ton of low-intensity 
aerobic training, like walking on a belt squat, holding things, uh, sled drags outside, tire flips, farmer's walks. And that stuff is carried over better to our sprint times and just, you know, teaching the test per se. And we'll do some like resisted, like band runs, um, very rarely, but some of that, um, but competition, that's the biggest thing. One of the, uh, well, not one of, probably the, the big thing that everyone wants to improve upon, uh, aside from the 60-yard dash, is you know, eggs of velocity, like hitting the ball harder. And since you are a powerlifting coach, I figured maybe they need to mix in some some heavy lifting. Now, is that true? or? Yeah, um, that's a double-sided question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I say yes, I think everyone, I think you can get the most carryover from increasing your absolute strength. So if you squat 225 and in six months you can get your squat up to 315, I think that will help your exit velocity all in all. But um, one of the things I've learned from being at Westside is we focus more on bar speed than weight on the bar. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like a lot of people – we use like a tendo unit. We don't use tendo units because Lou's got it figured out. <laughs> but um, like our speed days are very fast. I mean, like we're almost jumping with like 500, 600 pounds. Um, so I would say increasing absolute strength is huge. Um, but it, increasing bar velocity with heavier weight is more important. Would that be like VBT training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like, that's where I think the dynamic effort work has been a huge asset to our athletes. I mean, we drop their bar weight down. Um, if they're, they really need to get fast. Some of them drop down to like 30, 35% of their one rep max on squat. And we'll hook about, you know, 20% band tension on the bar and they have to beat that band tension, you know, cause you can't slow down with the accommodating resistance. If you slow down, it's going to catch you and you'll, miss the weight so it teaches the athletes to accelerate and that's um i'm actually going to start testing this this summer measuring exit velocity with some of our softball players on their hitting at the beginning of summer and end of summer um because i want to see what the accommodating resistance how much it helps because that's the biggest thing we've noticed with some of our athletes is they say they're hitting the ball much harder and much further when they're hitting now yeah so this year we're actually going to try to get some <laughs> weight room data to match up with some on-field data, if that makes sense. That, that, you know, that definitely does make sense. So is there is there value? I know you just talked about how, like, they, you would take whatever their one rep max is and they would, mm-hmm. you know, subtract the 30% or whatever that was. Um, so it my, that was kind of my next question was, should each athlete um, do a one rep max? <laughs> I would rather see people, and I know that a lot of people disagree with me, but I would rather see athletes hit a one rep max than a three to five rep max. And the reason is you can hit a one rep max and move on with your day, do accessories, feel good, not feel beat up. When you start doing three and five rep maxes, you have fatigue set in. So I think it was Joe Ken, he's the Carolina Panthers strength coach. He said, a one rep max, you get one chance to screw something up. A three rep max, you get three chances to screw something up. And five, you get five chances. So, you, you know, and anytime you introduce fatigue, I think you're asking for injury. 
So um, we generally, we'll hit a one rep max. Our kids will get a five, 10 pound PR and we move on with our day. So, so uh, we more like technique breakdown, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that definitely does. Um, so now getting like getting more specific into the pitchers and like how you would train a pitcher, mm-hmm. how, how, like what, what differences or how would you train them different from a position player? It depends if they come to us with injuries or without injuries. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen, you know, some 16-year-old baseball pitchers that come to you, they can't straighten their arm out, you know, whatever it might be, walking with one shoulder way up. And I'm lucky my wife is a doctor of physical therapy, so I get to bounce ideas off of her. (laughs) I mean, we have to get their upper back stronger. You said something about, you know, kids not wanting to lift heavy or whatever because it's baseball. We have more kids that have never done a barbell bench press that can't straighten their arm out or, you know, stand with their arms up overhead that have never done a bench press in their life. Like it's, it's bad. I mean, it's not, no, no exercise is good or bad. It's how you apply it. Yeah. If you're benching with your elbows out, like, yeah, that's going to be a bad exercise for but we just get their upper body stronger. If you can get your lats stronger and increase mobility and stability just throughout the whole body, I mean, it's insane. And being able to increase their ab strength, a lot of the pitchers I'm sure you've seen, the discrepancy in one side of their stomach to the other, as far as being able to stabilize, like it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> because everything's coming from the same side. You know, they practice, how many, how many throws do, does a pitcher make in a practice? That's a great question. I mean, especially if you put into, you know, their bullpen, right, and them just warming up, like, everything in between innings. I mean, I don't even know. I just – I mean, that's just – it's a lot, though. But say at least 100. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On a low day. Right, yeah. 100 repetitions in the same exact movement. And so, you know, your your other oblique is getting that neglected. Your low back's getting that neglected. Um, so we try to get our – our kids doing pull-ups, chin-ups, any kind of um, rows, bent over rows, chest-supported rows, really focusing on pulling the scap down and back into the back pocket and really just pulling with the scap and less with the arms. Or um, That's been huge, and I got this from Dan John. I think uh, farmer's walks, loaded carries are amazing for total body, you know, because you, you can't do them wrong. If you load up heavy and you do a farmer's walk wrong, you won't do it wrong again um but really stabilizing the shoulder flexing the stomach you know it's it's just i we had a ton of success using that so yeah just getting stronger i think strength is the key to everything and i know people are like that's because you're a power lifter and you came from a bodybuilding background like well no i've seen it with like 12 year old softball players and i've seen it with college softball players be the biggest difference in their performance yeah, I would have loved to have you as my strength coach. You know, no, not much running, like just lifting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what a one of the things that I had heard before is how important because are uh, in terms of um, keeping your hamstrings healthy and not pulling a hammy are eccentric um, exercises f- for hamstrings. Does that still hold true? What do you think? Um... <sighs> I like eccentric loading on hamstring stuff um, coming off injury 
I think it's huge, like coming back to sport. Uh, we don't do a ton of it just because we do we do some hamstring work like every day. So we try and rotate, you know, are they, are we focusing down by their knee or down, you know, up towards closer to the hip? Um, but we just, we load the hamstrings pretty heavy and that's been the best thing we've done. But if you're returning from an injury and we'll do some eccentric training, um, once they actually get into like real off season training, we'll do two weeks usually of eccentric loading of the hamstring on like glute ham raises. Um, not so much on like RDLs just because I don't want to fatigue the lower back that much. Um, any Swiss ball exercise you can do, we'll do some eccentric loading. So yes and no, it, it depends, I guess, is the answer on where the athlete is, which I think, you know, I think people are starting to realize that that's more of the answers. It depends on the athlete, their competitive season, their preparedness level. And, you know, there's a million different scenarios. Um, one of my favorite exercises is two of my favorite exercises that I always do bicep buys and tries doing, doing the curls, doing triceps. Now, is that a complete waste of time? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, now am I going to take time out of my group session for our baseball and softball players to do biceps and triceps? No, but they better be doing it before or after once or twice a week. So it is important uh, that they do it. I think so. Um, cause I've actually read studies for softball players about the release motion during their pitch and the last little follow through is tricep activation. So the, your last little bit of power is coming from your triceps to extend the pitch. Um, so we added some band pushdowns and stuff like that. And we do do some eccentric loading on biceps actually. And that's helped with some elbow tendonitis. And that's something I got from my wife. Um, she had one of our softball girls do it that kept having elbow issues. And that's really helped. Just doing a little bit. I'm not saying you got to look like um, freaking Popeye the Sailor. Yeah. <laughs> doing, so, I think neglecting any area is an issue. I think doing, like, even for me, like, you know, I'm a power lifter. I don't care what my biceps look like. But when I started doing two sets of 20 on bicep curls a couple times a week, my elbow pain went away. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that was something um, at softball. I mean, it shows how. I mean, those pitchers that they that they're they can throw as many pitches as they want to do because they're throwing underhand. <laughs> That's what I was told when I started into all this, and I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense, whatever." But then, like, I trained a girl that tore her bicep when she was like twelve. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it all comes to everything works in action. Everything leads to one other thing, and there's different phases, whether it's an overhand throw or a softball pitch. You know, it loads somewhere, transitions into something else, and so if your pitching motion is not correct because your firing patterns of your muscles aren't correct, something's going to take the load, and it'll either it'll end up being your bicep because the pec's going to be pulling in. Your pec's going to get tight and it'll pull on the bicep. So... Loosening up, getting their upper back stronger, getting more mobility through the T-spine. Like, those are huge things for our softball girls. Everybody still tells me that uh, softball pitching is a more natural motion. But I promise you, if you see some girl walk through our facility that's 15 years old, that's never lifted, but she's pitched, you know, three seasons a year, 
her, you can tell her shoulders messed up just from the way she's walking into the building. So it should apply um, that softball girls. I mean, pretty much what age, I guess, where, where I'm getting at, should these athletes start training? We have like nine-year-olds. That's really – we used to do more younger kids, but I don't really like it because I want them outside playing. Okay. <laughs> like um, like doing fun stuff, like playing kickball with their neighbors or climbing through trees. Like that's the stuff kids should be doing. Um, and our facility is now not really set up to be optimal for eight, nine-year-olds. Like we have racks every weeks and, you know, I don't, I don't think kids should have a controlled environment you know, when they're younger, I think they should be able to freely play, um, explore, learn their body, you know, learn to play team sports without adult supervision. And I mean, so that's why I don't, but I mean, they can, if they can, I'll say this, if you can play travel sports, you can lift weights. Mm, Okay. I like that. Like you might get a lot of seven year olds now though, the the way it's going. (laughs) I mean, that's, I mean, really like, I mean, I know seven and eight year olds playing 30 and 40 games a summer and you think deadlifting a 30 pound kettlebell is the worst thing that they're going to do. Like people just need to realize strength training for you is different than strength training for me. And it's different for, you know, the 51 year old I trained this morning. Like it's still all about increasing your health, increasing your fitness and feeling better and, you know, being better prepared for whatever your task at hand is, whether that's, you know, living longer, you know, getting another season or two in, you know, at the next level, whatever it is, strength training can be applied to it. So anybody can strength train. Um, It's just what you do. I think there's a lot of misapplication with what people do for strength training with children. And I think um, Vern Gambetta, his book is one of the best books I've read on youth strength training um, athletic development. So anybody that hasn't read that, I would highly, highly suggest it. Last question I have for you. You have, uh, with all the athletes that you see three exercises, what, 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 what three exercises would you give the average like, athlete that, um, that you train? If you'd only, you'd only oh, pick my... three. <laughs> Number one would be a plank. Okay. And I know that's boring. But I really believe you have to be able to stabilize your abs and stay, uh, you know, stabilize your entire body for it to move dynamically together. Um, we've had huge success with that. Um, number two, a box squat. Um, box squatting has done more for our athletes than about anything, and I can use it as an assessment tool. Like we pretty much got rid of an. Ass- we used to have like different assessments for everything. And we pretty much got rid of them. And um, now we use box squatting and our dynamic warm up to tell us what our athletes need. And it's been so much better. Instead of saying, well, you know, according to this FMS test, it looks like this, but it could be this. Like, yeah. Watch your athletes in motion and you will learn so much more about them than setting up these tests that if you ran them through two more times on the same day, they might do better and score completely different. Um, but, you know, box squatting, we can tell if your hip flexors are um, tight, if your glutes are weak, if your hamstrings are tight, if your abs are weak, if your upper back's weak, if your lower back's weak. Like, we can tell all these things just from that. So, plank, box squat, 
I know Kyle will disagree with me. I'll probably say pull up chin up either way. Okay. Um, I love <laughs> we had when we did all our post testing for baseball and softball this uh, spring, I looked at our fastest sprint times and for baseball players and softball players, um, the biggest correlation was biggest increase on back squat, um, biggest increase on chin ups led to the biggest increases on both change direction and, and linear speed drills. So I would say chin ups just because of that. Okay. Awesome. Nick, you've been, you've been a fantastic guest, man. I really, really appreciate it. You know, definitely would love to have you back on the show again and, um, great insight, man. I really, again, really appreciate the stuff. Thanks. Um, I think Kyle and I might be planning a trip down to see you this summer because you're not that far, I don't think. Maybe a couple hours. Yeah, down in Cincinnati, so not too far. Yeah. So We'll yeah, get, we'll get no. a workout in together. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, I can wait. <laughs> <laughs>